Hello, thank you for your interest in the Ocean Mind Sangha. Uh, these uh, talks are recorded live. I give them from the south of Mexico, where I live. And they usually happen on Wednesday evenings during our sit, our Wednesday sit. And we offer these talks freely. But if you would like to offer a donation, know that that is always much, much appreciated. Um, your support allows me to dedicate more time to writing and teaching about the Dharma. Uh, it supports the operations of the Ocean Mind Sangha, and it allows us to offer scholarships, especially for classes, uh, for people who might need them. Uh, if you would like to offer a donation, you can visit uh, my website at vanessasuisegoddard.org. Thank you again for your practice and your support. May we purify an ocean of worlds. May we free an ocean of beings. May we see an ocean of dharma. May we realize an ocean of wisdom. May we purify an ocean of activities. May we fulfill an ocean of aspirations. May we make offerings to an ocean of Buddhas. May we practice without discouragement for an ocean of eons. Good evening. Welcome to the Ocean Mind Sangha. Welcome back. If you've been here before. Um, we have been studying the Buddhist precepts, moral and ethical teachings, and uh, we're using a book called Opening to Oneness by Mujo Roshi, Mujo Baker Roshi. We are on chapter six, uh, which is the precept on non-talking about others' errors and faults. If you have not read the book, don't worry. I think this precept in particular is one that we can all relate to. And hopefully our conversation will give you more than one entry point into what it means to live clearly, kindly, right, with wisdom and compassion. In our lineage, this precept is worded as, I will see the perfection, I will not speak of others' errors and faults. And before we go any further, I just want to draw our attention to this fact, like the wording of the Dharma, as my friend uh, Yeshe Chodron calls it, because words matter. And in Buddhism, words tend to be used very carefully, very precisely. And as I have often said, words shape and reflect our experience of the world. And so they matter. And so this precept says, I will see the perfection. I will not speak of others' errors and faults. That is the wording when you're actually taking the precepts in the precepts or Jukai ceremony. I will see the perfection. 
I will not speak of others' errors and faults. So this precept is really saying, I will begin by seeing my and others' perfection. My not speaking of others' faults doesn't come from an idea that this is a good thing to do, but that it's good to not criticize, to not gossip, to not spread slander. It actually comes from the realization that I'm perfect and they're perfect. Therefore, there's no need to criticize them. It's not my business what others do or don't do. My business is how to act, how to speak, how to use my mind skillfully. But that's the real work, to refrain from harm, to practice good, and to master the mind. The Buddha's words in the Dhammapada. And it's that particular teaching which I took recently and worked a little bit and used the um, stop, soothe, shift. And so this particular teaching to refrain from harm, to practice good and to master the mind, and how to work with this based on this perfection, hopefully answers the question that begs to be asked. How about when someone does something harmful? Where's the perfection then? And shouldn't I speak up then? And then the answer is, of course, of course we should. But let's be very careful here. That's not pointing out another's errors and faults. That is stopping the harm. You see the difference? It's not about criticizing something or someone we don't like. It's about aligning ourselves with that inherent perfection, right, with our wholeness. And from there, seeing what needs my attention? What needs our love? What needs our care? And from that point, to choose our words carefully. to speak about the harm that's being done, not about the person harming. So it's kind of, it means refining our focus. We're really misusing our words when we focus on the person, because the person is not their actions. We know this. The person can act in such a way to create harm, to obscure that perfection. And that is still not who they are. We know that we hurt others because we get caught 
in our greed, we get caught in our anger, we get caught in our ignorance. We harm others because we don't see clearly. Or because in a moment we're not able to act from what we see. And so we work on it. We continue to practice and clarify and integrate so that we will be better able to manifest our perfection. That is why Shunri Suzuki could say, we're perfect and complete, just as we are, and we could use a little work. Both are true at the same time. We're perfect and complete right now, just as we are, and we could use a little work. That is what we're here to do. Realization, waking up to our true nature, is that perfection. Practice is the work, is the work needed to see it and to live it. Annalise was telling me recently, she was sitting with someone here in Playa, who's interested in Buddhism and practices other things. And this other person was saying kind of something like, well, you know, we don't really need to do anything because we're already Buddhas and we're already perfect. And she kept saying, yes, yes, but we need to realize it. And they kept saying, yes, but you don't understand. We don't need to do anything. And she's like, well, (laughs) yes, and... No, we can't just coast. I mean, we can, and actually people do all the time. I've done it. I've coasted on a certain level of practice, a certain level of of insight until life happens and you realize, wait, 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 wait. There is still work to do. There is still something to clarify. We absolutely, from the absolute perspective, are perfect and there's nothing we need to do. Just as from that perspective, there is no criticizing others. There is no one criticizing. There are no others. And we also absolutely live in relationship where how we speak matters. In bringing those two truths together, I often say is the work of a lifetime. Another detail about wording, Mujiroshi, who wrote this book, Opening to Oneness, she prefaces all the precepts with a prefix non. Non Non-killing, non-stealing, 
non-lying, etc. And someone asked recently, how is that different from not killing, not stealing? And it seems like a minor detail, but it isn't. And it's not accidental. Not killing is exactly what it says, to refrain from taking life. Non-killing, the way that she's using it, the way that we would use it in Zen practice, is to realize that place where killing is impossible. Where once again, there is no killer, there is no killing, and there is no killed because they all merge into one. In this place, it's impossible to even give rise to the thought of killing. But we have to tread carefully here. It doesn't mean that killing doesn't happen. We just have to look at the news. We just have to look at our lives. It doesn't mean that. It means there's a place, for lack of a better way to speak about it, where there is no killing. There's not even the, the, the word or the thought, the possibility of killing. And there's a place where killing happens and the precept needs to be practiced. Now, why is there no killing? Because there's no separation. In no separation, you cannot harm another because there are no others. Mujaroshi says, not only is the Dharma faultless or flawless, but nothing can be excluded. There is no outside. That's what no separation means. This is the great realization. And I feel that this is the great contribution of Buddhism to a life based on ethics and morality. It is not based on right and wrong. It's not even based on doing good, even though we speak of practicing good. It's really based on unity. So in one sense, we could, if I go back to that original teaching of the Buddha, to refrain from harm, to practice good, to master the mind. If you just skip to that third one, master the mind, and you use that mastered mind, that trained mind, to see all the way to the bottom of harm and good. And everything else follows naturally. And if this sounds abstract, it's because what I'm saying, the words I'm using, don't even get close to the actual experience. Like my words cannot describe the moment when you realize that taking another's life is like taking your own. And so you don't, as much as you can. As much as you can. Because in this world, we are taking life every day. So it's not that it's factually impossible, 
to speak of others' errors and faults, but that it is impossible from the point of view of heart, from the point of view of mind. And mind here, think big mind, all mind. There is nothing but mind. In order to break any of these precepts, we have to be separate from the precept, from the other, from any aspect of ourselves, actually. And so the reason we do Zazen, the reason we do a little bit of study, but quite a bit of sitting, actually, if you think about it, is to realize that place of non-killing, of non-speaking, of false or anything else. And then we bring it into the world and we put it to work. Right? Because if it's not working there, it's not working. And so these precepts have to work in our jobs in our relationships, in those moments when we meet something and we are not sure how to act. That's where we want to use the precepts when it counts. And so just to be very clear in this precept, to non-speak of others' errors and faults means to first realize there are no others. In his commentary, Master Dogen says, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we are the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, and the same practice. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Do not destroy the way. Now that is quite a statement. Do not destroy the way by speaking of other errors and faults. That is the impact of our words. He's saying do not sow separation with your words. Do not try to break what cannot be broken what is always whole. I think of that, that koan by Master Tsaushan, which I love to quote, the love between parent and child, between teacher and student, cannot be split apart, even when hit with an ax. You cannot split our wholeness. You cannot split Buddha nature. But you can't harm it, but you can destroy it in your mind. And this is mind with a little m. This is why this precept is so important. Because we can kill someone with our words. Now think of, of telling someone often enough that they're not worthy. <clears throat> that they're not lovable, 
that they're not smart, and they will believe it. And then their lives will bear that out. Our words matter, and also how we use them. And so we know this teaching, Marguerite's favorite. When speaking, we consider, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And then we can add, is it timely? And is it beneficial? And if it's not any one of those things, do we really need to say it? In a way, speaking of others is lazy. It is a convenient distraction, a little bit of entertainment, a way of bonding. Mujo Roshi brings that up, right? A strange way of bonding, a strange way of, of establishing that intimacy that we want, that we do want. To speak up, on the other hand, to tell the truth, is hard and necessary. And we can do it in a way that is kind and beneficial. As my mother used to say, you can say anything if you find the right way to say it. And then I wanted briefly to also speak a little bit again about the approach of this book, reflecting you know, the last couple of times that we met, what I was saying, um, because there are times when these precepts are described in a way that could seem a little bit harsh. Last time somebody brought up the example in studying the last precept on clouding the mind, Mujoroshi saying that to call a friend when you feel lonely could be a form of clouding the mind. I disagree, generally speaking. You know, given that the Buddha said that the whole of the holy life, our spiritual friends, our good friends, our noble friends, you know, calling someone when you need to may, in fact, be the way to proceed clearly. And so we have to use our own discernment, right? We have to be clear of, of our own intention. That's all. Watching three hours of Netflix, I mean, most likely will cloud our mind. <clears throat> but if you're in the throes of grief, maybe that's all you can do for a little while. No one else can tell us what will help us to stay awake and what will put us back to sleep. No one else can say how much is too much to take in in any given moment, right? How much reality. How many of us have said at some point or know someone who has, it's been such a hard day, I just need to veg out. 
for a little bit. Now, from the perspective of waking up, I mean, that is a little bit at odds. But we're not machines. And there are no shoulds in the precepts. There really aren't. And so each one of us has to discern what helps and what harms, when, how, how much. So that with patience and practice, we can get clear about that and adjust our actions accordingly. It's a process of uh, calibration, I think, is one way to think about it. If you have experienced something very challenging in whatever way that, that demanded all of your discernment, all of your presence, all of your clear action, it is likely that for a little bit afterward, you'll need a little downtime. That's what I've so appreciated of Zen training, its cyclical nature, because it understands that, that after periods of intensive training, you need a release. You need a, a, a winding down, if you will, and that that's not bad. That's not a fault in the system. That we all need periods of, of intensive practice and a, a relaxation, an opening of the container. And that is true at, at every level. At every level of our minds, of our hearts. And what I see is that with practice, we just get better at refining that. You know, we need less and less the, the kind of like the acting out, you know, the, 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 the going to the extreme. You just realize, oh, I just need to, to release a little bit of the pressure, release a little bit of the steam. Or you find a way, you find better ways, more effective ways to, to rest. to re-energize and start over, right? So I really want to make sure that we're approaching our study of the precepts individually and collectively wisely, right, and kindly. I mean, it's good to not deceive ourselves, but we don't have to police ourselves either. And so one way to proceed clearly is to ask, what do I want? Right? What am I after here, really? And if our motivation is less than bright, well, we accept that too. We be honest with ourselves, we be kind, and from there take another step. We can be perfectly imperfect. And then we never run out of things to practice. We never run out of things to do. 
We never run out of things to see, to integrate, to offer. We never run out of things to offer. How wonderful. Thank you for listening. Uh, If you would like to listen to more talks, you can visit my website at vanessasuisegoddard.org. And if you would like to offer a donation, know that they're always much, much appreciated. Uh, They allow me to dedicate more time to writing about and teaching the Dharma. They uh, support the operations of the Ocean Mind Sangha. And they also allow us to offer scholarships for people who might need them. Uh, So we always, always very much appreciate your practice and your support. Thank you.